This week, the podcast goes straight to the top of the charts. In 1984... Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone once again to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. My name is Brian and this week my friends Chris and Eric will join me for an episode about, well, I heard an interesting thing recently. I, I, I don't even remember where I heard it, but, but doggone it turns out in the year 1984 only five albums hit number one on the Billboard album chart for the entire year. And one of them didn't even come out in 1984. So, like, huge, huge swaths of music that you think would have hit number one. Duran Duran, Madonna, Van Halen, you name it. It's, no, none of those hit number one. We're going to talk about what did. That's, uh, check the show notes to get the timestamps for that. And, of course, we've got all the fresh hit coming up, including I do dish a little bit, although maybe nothing you haven't already heard already, but I do talk about Elden Ring. So, you know, click, 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 click bait, people. All right, uh, let's get it going. Uh, as always, if you, uh, well, first of all, if you like the show, please subscribe to it. Rate it on iTunes. Share it on your social media feeds with your friends. And if you want to reach out to us, you can hit us up on Twitter. We are at MagHuge. That's M-A-G-H-U-G-E. On Facebook and Instagram, we're the Magnificently Huge Podcast. You can email MagnificentlyHuge at gmail.com. You don't have to remember any of that because if you just go to maghuge.com, you'll find links to all of that and all of our old shows. So, yeah. Uh, hey, it's a show. Let's do the thing. Hey, everybody. It's the Magnificently Huge Podcast. And it seems such a waste of time. That's <laughs> what it's all about. Good luck moving. Sorry. Bye. You moving you out, can... Eric? Uh, Billy Joel. Good yeah. Lord. Yeah. No, you know, you know what? I've 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 been taking uh um uh taking to oh by the way, this is Eric. Hi. Oh hi Eric. hi Eric Brian. That's hi. Chris. No, it isn't. Oh wait, yes that, it that is. That was that used to be <laughs> anyway, yeah. So no, I've been I've been listening to uh Panic at the Disco this uh week and and digging them. Uh but oh, they do God. a cover of Anthony's song that is really fucking good. Okay, I will take your word for it. I'm not a, not no, a fan. No, I not a fan. I know. Okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like... I, I, Embrace I, the cheese. We've got to do like a game someday. Chris, don't take this the wrong way. We've got to do yeah. a game someday of like, does Chris hate it? And and basically we'll just <laughs> randomly pull out some things and just... Likely I no. will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so my, my my wife and I were discussing this yesterday because we went out and had breakfast, and for the second week in a row, uh, some Coldplay song that I don't remember the name of, mm-hmm. uh, 
and I couldn't even hum it to you now because it's just gone like a fart in the wind. Well, Coldplay sucks dick. There's no yeah. question. But it's like it's following us. So now we're like, good Lord, is this our new official breakfast song? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> well, it's, it's yeah. funny. You know, Eric, I, I was just talking with my wife and, and her daughter about, you know, we're, we're going on this uh, 80s cruise again. Uh, coming up real soon here. Eric and I are both going on this thing again. We did yeah. it with our uh, two with years our ago. spouses. Where there's there's, there's spouses, nothing yeah. weird. Yeah. Oh well, no, it's still weird. <laughs> um, it's weird. But we were talking about like the two the mid two thousands nostalgia thing is starting to be a thing, right? But I'm I'm thinking we were talking about like what are the bands going to be on the cruise for them when they get old? And I'm thinking like by that point they really should be called My Chemical Imbalance. And not, you know, anyway. Um, I got also a note about uh, us going on the cruise. You know, we, we went on the cruise in March of 2020. And uh, there was a global pandemic. And now mm. we're going on the cruise. There's going to be uh, a nuclear for World war. war three. Yeah. So yeah. I think I think it's our fault. I think we're not allowed to take a fucking vacation. And this is the karmic debt we're paying. So, no. but I, I lay the blame. Fuck the rest of the world. We're yeah. going on a cruise. I lay the blame squarely at the feet of Putin. It's like, oh, uh, COVID receding potentially. Uh, let's uh, start World War Three. Fuck it. Why not? Let's do it. <laughs> Everybody yeah. can just screw off. Yeah, you know, this, this is. I think we should acknowledge that this this episode is ultimately going to be listened to by the aliens. That yeah. you know, discover the last remaining server on the <laughs> smoking cinder that is this planet. Anyway, ours will be the only podcast that survives. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, we'll be like you know, it, it'll be like it, it should have been William Shakespeare's works that survived, but it'll be this show, and the human race will be judged on the two hundred <laughs> plus episodes we've done. Hey, let's that- take a fresh shit. This shit is fresh. Judge us on the media that we that we're gonna talk about here. Yeah, yeah. do it. Yeah. I was actually thinking of Steven Spielberg's AI. You know how they come back and all they find is an you know an animatronic boy doll. Yeah, in the ocean or whatever that was. Yeah. I don't even remember that movie. <laughs> that's how, I love that. That's movie. how much an impression it made on me. Uh, well, you know what? Uh, I did watch this week just to throw it at you, fellas. Uh, I randomly found. Uh, Michael Mann's The Keep from 1983. Yay! <laughs> I haven't seen it in decades. Like wh- while he was like ma- preparing, preparing to make ma- Miami Vice. Yeah, that was like he was still a film director. He had already made like yeah. Thief with James Caan, and he ended up doing this thing. And it's just such a botched train wreck of a movie because it went over budget. Their visual effects guy yeah. died, and it's just like it's, it's a train wreck. It makes no sense it, at all. I don't know anything about the keep. What's, really? what's it about? Oh, the keep is like nothing. it's like a tone poem. That's the way you yeah. got to approach it. Okay. It's uh, the Nazis discover a keep, an ancient keep, and uh, they accidentally unleash hell. Yeah. It's basically think of the game Doom. That's what was, it was inspired by. This movie, The Keep. Yeah. Okay. Because basically, it's uh, the start of our Operation Barbarossa, where the Nazis are getting ready to invade Russia. So they're in Romania, and some like little village, and then they find this ancient keep that's designed to keep something in. 
Uh, and then because they're Nazis, they're jackholes, like the soldiers start taking off the silver crosses that are there as part of the protection. And then it unleashes this demon who's trying to get out. And then... I, I, I'm sorry, I need to interrupt real quick. Uh, trigger warning, if you are a Nazi, and we know you're out there yeah. in America these days, <laughs> we're going to call you a jackhole. Yeah. yeah. Okay, continue. Go ahead. Uh, we're old school. So, we don't yeah. like Nazis. <laughs> and so, <laughs> basically, uh, they get Ian McKellen in, who's some sort of scholar, uh, scientist guy who's from the village, and he's like a he's an old Jewish man in a wheelchair, and his daughter is like his aide. And then... Uh, Scott Glenn shows up as some sort of uh, like immortal the demon, demon fighter, yeah, who's got like yeah. weird glowing purple eyes. Uh, like it's just it just makes you're no not th- kidding about the doom thing, are you? <laughs> no, like, this is literally Castle Wolfenstein finds yeah. the portal to doom. Yeah, that's basically. what I meant. Okay, Castle yeah. Wolf Castle Wolfenstein. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's just crazy. But Tangerine Dream did the score. And like Eric said, it's very much like a tone poem because it just, there's no like theme. It just sort of mm-hmm. is all moody ex- electronic music and such and, you know, darkly lit and fog and special effects. But they, <laughs> when the demon finally takes corporeal form, it looks like, uh, have you ever seen the show Frisky Dingo on uh, Adult Swim? It's like this weird, like, I don't know, he's got like a thick neck and it's very blocky and the makeup's just dumb. It just doesn't look frightening at all. Uh, and it just, <laughs> it's just there to, like, yeah. it's supposedly it's still fear, but it just, it's dumb. It's laughable. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just, that's oh. why I say, you know, like, yeah, the effect, that kind of shit, you know, yeah, dumb. But yeah. there's bits in there, like when, okay, Gabriel Byrne is the Nazi in charge. And uh, he... <laughs> At one point is like, I, I can't remember if he wakes up or he just happens upon all the destruction that's happened in this game <laughs> with all of these dead Nazis. Yeah. And I, I always find that much more scary. Uh, but you know, it's like, like the way that was shot, the moodiness of that, it's, it actually makes me think a lot of, um, uh, the David Bowie vampire movie. Um, oh, the, the, the hunger. hunger. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's I mean, another a, one that doesn't really make sense, but the feeling you get off of it is very distinct. Yeah. Well, the smoke machine thing was was the trend back then. That was that was Spielberg going back to like Close Encounters and certainly in E.T. and and Poltergeist, right? Yeah. Using using just sound stages full of smoke to to like create a sense of scale and to make the lights look neat. Yeah. And then like that that just was that's, the look back. Well, then. that's basically this movie. Yeah. It's a uh, uh, it's dark, it's moody, it's just, uh, it's a train wreck, though. It's funny, but- actually, now that I think of it, Blade Runner, same thing, uh, you know, it's, yeah. except it has a story, and it goes somewhere, but yeah. it has that, that, that uh, environment that makes you feel scared. Yeah, well, I mean, Michael Mann is nothing if not uh, a craftsman, I mean, he just, he's there for the aesthetic above everything, and so... This movie succeeds yeah. on that level, I guess. Uh, I just re- always remember it because when it came out, so 83, uh, I was, you know, 12. So I was, that was back when Nickelodeon was first starting and you just got all this random 
content from them and they had a show <laughs> called lights camera action which was all about like behind the scenes movies and they picked like the weirdest movies to put into a show that's <laughs> being aimed at kids because it was like this uh john carpenter's the thing i mean it was all like movies <laughs> oh, that, yeah that had come out of like 82 <laughs> but it was like totally not kids movies because this one the keep has got like nudity violence i mean it's nazis it's just like it's not a kids movie but i remember being enthralled by the behind the scenes stuff and went oh i need to see that and then so so do you recommend watching the keep today uh if you're a michael mann completist yes uh, if you want something, that's a very qualified yes. <laughs> but if you want it's something, it's not the kind of movie that you're going to watch and like enjoy. But it's the kind yeah. of movie that, yeah, if you want, if you want to understand the full oeuvre, go yeah. for it. If you've watched every <laughs> single other thing this director has done, yeah. and you're down to this, yeah, get it over with. Yeah, I, I also suggest said. if okay. you find yourself being ten years old again, really good movie. Yeah, I mean it's yeah because because it's got monsters and nudity and yeah. violence and yeah, and you're not Nazis. really worried yeah, about okay. story so much. But I mean it's got like it's got Gabriel Byrne early role, Scott Glenn, uh, Ian McKellen who shows up, and it's just so weird seeing him like not old because he starts yeah. out old and then the demon like fixes him, and then he's suddenly like in his forties mm. again, and it's so it's young Ian McKellen, which is sort of almost disconcerting on its own, uh, and then Jurgen Prock now is like the good quote-unquote Nazi officer uh, who ends up getting killed. And he's the, the captain from Das Boot and like countless other movies. And so it's just this really good cast, uh, but it's just wasted. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just, it's terrible. But it's a, good back, it's a good background movie. So if you ever just need something to put on for two hours, Brian, this is your movie, definitely. Because okay. at the very least you get Tangerine Dream. You know what I mean? So... I mean, that's a good way to fall asleep. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Uh, that's that's literally what else you got, Chris? That's literally it. I saw it like randomly okay. on like Pluto TV uh, on demand, and I'm like, oh, I was literally thinking about this movie like two months ago, and here it is. And now I've wasted two hours of my life. Thank you, The Keep. By well Michael done, Mann. well done, sir. <laughs> so that's we, it. we are time murderers on on the uh, magnificently huge podcast yeah. die time die we will die kill you. yeah die. yeah yes <laughs> d bart d yeah <laughs> all right i got i got a bunch of fresh shit of course um, this week if you can believe it oh yeah well let's start with um the the thing du jour in the video game world i'm definitely playing elden ring um i don't know that elden one. ring is a he's the host the day of the it came channel. out it it has <laughs> it has a 97 on metacritic like lots of 10 out of 10s for this game it's um it's kind of like a modern day skyrim it's kind of like zelda breath of the wild and it's a big huge open fantasy world but all of the combat is this is made by the people who made the dark souls games so it's fucking hard it's this enormous sprawling fantasy game where every combat encounter can can kill you if you're not on on Ooh. point. Um, it's really good. That's um, bingo. When did well, like when did this come out? And and can I play this, it on a on a, 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 a an Xbox One? An Xbox One? I don't know if they released for the Xbox One. Um, they released for the PlayStation Four, so maybe. Mm. Um. It just came out this week. Um, I it's it's a it's a big long 
a sprawling game. The thing about it that's nice compared to the other games by this developer is if you sort of butt up against something that's really, really hard, you can just run away and go do something else. And there's like always something to do. So it's like <laughs> so, so it's like a um, an immersive thing. It doesn't have like straight up levels, etc. So it's more like a GTA sort of a deal. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's a big, huge open fantasy world, but there's, like, little dungeons and catacombs and caves and sh shit everywhere. And then there are, like, big set-piece areas of the game that you kind of work your way up to, and then you have to get through. Okay. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's like, hours and hours and hours and hours of entertainment. Um, it's good stuff. Like, so you just started, how long have you been playing it, like, per day? Uh, oh, yeah, no, it came out like, okay, so it came out at, <laughs> specifically, it came out at 10 p.m. my time on Thursday night, and then I played it, you know, and I got to a good stopping place about 1 a.m., and then I actually stopped playing at about <laughs> 2 a.m., uh, <laughs> and then I had to work in the morning, <laughs> and Video was a games ragged. do make yeah. you young again, don't they? I mean, oh, man. <laughs> that's, that's a young man's um, game, staying up that late. For a game. Yeah. No, this is... It's it's good. It's highly recommended. Uh, it's the zeitgeist in gaming. Elden Ring people play it. Okay. Um, But yeah, I have no idea if it runs on an Xbox One. I'm going to uh, look right now <laughs> is what I'm going to do. Um, Sold. Finished up... Finished up Peacemaker. All the um, all the shows... this All the episodes are there now, right? Because that was when I was waiting for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. complete watch it um every episode was written by james gunn most of them were directed by james gunn um all, all of them produced by james gunn yes yes it's it's a very very james gunn show yeah um it i will say the momentum falls off a little bit as it as it moves along you know the first few episodes are kind of transcendent and then you get into that middle patch and it's kind of like it's still really entertaining and really funny, um, but I definitely, maybe it was just the novelty had worn off a little bit, but but it's absolutely recommended. So how There's many... a character named, there's eight episodes okay. total, and they're like 45 minutes each. It's, a, it's an easy watch. All right. You're, you're good. Um, there's a character in it called Vigilante, uh, who when he first shows up, you're just like, oh God, I hate this guy. Get him off the screen. And by the end... By about the midpoint of the series, actually, he will completely... He won me over, at least. Um, so, kudos to the actor who plays Vigilante for taking what should be just the most insufferable character and making it work. So, it's like the, <laughs> the polka dot man of the Peacemaker show? <laughs> uh, polka dot man is, is, is superior to Vigilante, but, okay. but, but he's good. Uh, you'll see. Okay. And goddamn if John Cena doesn't actually like not suck. Uh he's he's really good in this actually. He's got his I moments. I think he was grown I think he was grown in a lab to be like a a movie star person, you know, just as The Rock was. It's like yeah. mm -hmm. some kind of weird genetic camp that was set up, you know, to, <laughs> to spit out action heroes. Well, what's weird is like he I don't have a problem with him, but I also don't have anything about him I like because yeah. he's like standard. I think he literally looks like muscly white bread. Yeah. Well, what's funny yeah. is that he. And what makes it work? Go well, ahead. Well, he and uh, Bautista were like 
they came up together in the WWE. So like they mm-hmm. actually did a bunch of like do like matches together, I guess. So they and they both basically went into acting at the same time and then wind up working for James Gunn. It's just like a really weird <laughs> like wrestling snake eating its own tail kind of a thing because they both do very well in the stuff that they are given that's good material, which is what's strange. And, uh, and well, what's what, what's what, funny also is I've seen Dave Bautista actually act like he is mm-hmm. he actually has skill and i don't know that you know the uh, you know, uh, what's his name doesn't it's just everything is so calculated the, the idea that he did an apology to china in chinese uh for saying that uh taiwan might be a country that to me is like oh my god he's programmable that's all <laughs> so i i will say this he actually does act in peacemaker okay and that was the revelation for me is like he actually did deliver the goods but but part of what makes peacemaker work is that the peacemaker character itself is almost a parody of the persona of john cena right he, he just comes across as this like muscle head white privileged dude right and that's what peacemaker is and then they <laughs> they give the character an arc but anyway um so yeah Okay. Interested to see uh, Peacemaker, but but finally, let's talk about Death on the Nile. No. Do we have to? <laughs> Death on the Nile is Kenneth Branagh coming back to Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot. Um, Hercule Poirot. Yeah. <laughs> you know what happened? He directed the first Thor. And uh, he said, hey, this was a lot of fun. You know, we should do this again. And 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 uh, Brian Feig said, no, um, you know, we're, we're, we've got a franchise going and we're going to like, you know, shop we're around. Good. And he said, franchise? What is this franchise of which you speak? And yeah. he said, oh, that's where we take a property and we milk the ever loving fuck out of it. And he said, I can do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But and then he went and he found... Yeah. Agatha Christie. Exactly. Yeah. So No, before this though, he, he did the Jack Ryan reboot with Chris Pine and that flailed. And then he that tried was another that, attempt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he tried that Artemis Fowl thing and that flailed. <laughs> so yeah. it's like he's mm. he finally found his niche with like redoing Agatha Christie movies. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I liked this better than Murder on the Orient Express. Um I I think that in in the previous film, his character specifically Poirot is is just a cartoon, and it, it it just put me at a distance from the whole thing. Yeah. In this one, they first of all they kind of acknowledge that he's somewhat cartoonish, but they also ground him. And frankly, Branna is the best actor in a an all star cast here. Yeah. Um. They even gave the goofy ass mustache a justification for existing. Yeah. In this movie. Well, um, it's I well as an Agatha Christie pseudo fan, uh, I will mm-hmm. say that Death on the Nile is a much better mystery story than Murder on the Orient Express. It's just more, way more engaging. the The twists and turns are a little bit more fun. So yeah, the source material is better. And there you go. So. And that's and that's part of the fun is is watching. Poirot 
rolling out plausible scenarios when he's questioning each character about how maybe they were the the killer and what their motive might have been and how they might have done it, right? Yeah. And so there's like all of these mysteries that didn't actually take place being told, all these mystery <laughs> stories being told. Yeah. Um, they also did a really uh, clever thing. I don't know if the book or other adaptations of Death and the Nile do this, but they make you wait for the titular death to happen, like, for a while. Yeah. So, for somebody who didn't know the story, because I haven't read or watched any of the Agatha Christie stuff. Really? Okay. Um, yeah. I will say- Somebody th- didn't know the story, I'm like, who's gonna die? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, it's that alone was interesting. And they they tease it out and tease it out, and they keep cutting to, like, you know- an alligator eats a bird or something yeah. right here's, just to just to say here's some more death on the nile but it's not the death you're looking yeah. for here's what you, you know? what you need to do is you need to go find the peter Ustinov version from like 82 mm. that yeah. was fun uh, or no it was like 77 78 i guess so like 70s uh and then go find the one that david sukat did for the bbc and see which one you like the best because they all have different flavors in their take on Poirot. And so that's the other thing with okay. the characters. Like any actor who gets them uh, puts a, a, enough of a spin on it to make it slightly unique, which is the weird thing about that character. It's like you should be just like a one note detective, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it's not. Every actor brings something else to it. It's strange. So th- this is an all star cast Gal Gadot, Army Hammer. Yeah, I know. Um, Does he eat anybody? <laughs> <French> is- <laughs> n- not. That I recall, okay. at least not in this movie. Um, French and Saunders reunite and are in this movie. Nice. Um, you've got uh, whatever Jon Snow's girlfriend uh, from Game of Thrones, and yeah, she's in it. Um, but the absolute standout, there's oh, oh, and Russell Brand playing a serious role with a short haircut. I like Russell Brand, and he's actually pretty good. Yeah, I enjoy his um, work, but but um. All of these people are utterly out-star-powered by uh, Emma Mackey, who's basically a newcomer. She's a young actress. She plays the spurned girlfriend, and whenever she is on screen, just she eats the camera like no nothing else is on screen. She yeah. she has everybody's attention. Well, it, she's really good. Mia Farrow does the one in the the seventies version. So okay. She I remember the 70s scenery. version. As a kid watching that, my parents yeah. really loved it and like sitting there and watching it and going, oh, this must be very good because my parents like it. <laughs> nope. I just, I, mm. my wife and I enjoyed that one probably the most because Yusinov uh, is just amazing. But also because the, the guy uh, in that one uh, is played by Simon McCorkendale. But who was who was in <laughs> is that the second Simon McCorkendale that's, reference within no, a month from your the, ass? That's the same that's the same one because you had mentioned you were gonna go see okay. this. But he, he played okay. Manimal uh in the, the short lived NBC show Manimal. Um but this was an early role for him. But my wife and I always see it and we think that it's Michael York briefly because they look similar at that age. And then we realized that, no, it's the poor man's Michael York. It's Simon McCorkendale. And <laughs> we get kind of disappointed. <laughs> but, you know. Michael you York it. could have played his arch enemy, Animan. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right, Eric, bring us home. What do you got? Yeah, I've got that. something fucking hilarious. Uh, and you can watch it right now on YouTube. 
I don't know how I found this, but there's a film in 2007 called Flood, and it is What's a disaster it film. It's a disaster film on a TV budget. Okay, let that sink in for a second. Love that. Somebody Love at that. the BBC made a disaster film with just enough money to make something like for TV, you know, like a Doctor Who budget. <laughs> but they're trying to do a fucking disaster movie. Nice. Uh, basically, uh, sea levels rise and the, uh, the, the, the breakwater that was set up to keep the flooding out of London uh, fails. And so London floods. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of very, very poorly done death. Uh, it's just hilarious. Uh, it's got a, it's got some actors of note, like Robert Carlyle's in it. Uh, no. A very young, a young, uh, um, uh, well, what's his name? I just forgot his name. Um, we uh, don't know. Um, I'm, I'm getting to it. I just, <laughs> uh, oh, fuck it. Anyway, uh, let's see. Tom Courtney's in it. It's It's got some, some big british names right um yeah and, and they're they're doing all this stuff with like uh oh the 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 waters are 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 flooding scotland and and you know they 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 show the a lady in a in her house and she's trying to get out through the skylight and it's all very 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 bad effects and all of I'm the looking. acting is <laughs> Very thin. The writing is about the level of writing you would expect from a disaster movie. It's not good. But you've got these actors who are essentially competent trying to do this absolute horseshit. It's so funny. I'm it's so at, funny. I'm looking at the cast now and I see that David Suckett, uh, mm -hmm. Mr. Poirot, is in it as the deputy prime minister. Right. Uh, and then I see that Tom Nigel Hardy, a young Tom Hardy. That's right. Yeah, and then uh, I see that Nigel Planer is also in it. <laughs> yeah, he's he's old, Neil, and he's Neil like a guy who is supposed to predict that this storm off the coast was going to go away, but then it comes in, and he's very depressed for a lot of it because he called it wrong, and then at one point, he just walks out of the room, and uh, later on, someone's like, what happened to, to, what happened to Hopkins, you know, or whatever, and... Somebody says, uh, they just found his body. He killed himself. What? <laughs> what? <Yeah>. Really? <laughs> it's like, ooh, ooh. I, I, I think they were, they wanted a dramatic moment. And what they wound up with was, I think Nigel Planner had something else to do that day. Yeah. Are you surprised that they couldn't get Nicolas Cage? Uh, yeah. You know what? Actually, I bet it started that way. And like, <laughs> it's like, get me caged. one thing after another fell through, but nobody had the heart to say, okay, let's just not do this. So yeah. they kept going. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not kidding. If you've got, if, don't seriously watch it, but like, if you've got shit to do and you need something on the, in the background, I beg you go to YouTube, look up flood from 2008 and just, just turn this your is the head. second movie where the recommendation <laughs> is turn this movie on and don't watch it's it. It's not a recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks balls, but it's like so <laughs> alarming that this thing got made. I mean, you could make a couple of good movies uh, off of the budget that was probably used. Well, uh, I mean, yeah. by the BBC standards, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, you could you could make three or four different uh, uh, versions of rubber. <laughs> <laughs> how dare you damn it how dare you <laughs> and uh 
okay, I, I last night I watched The French Dispatch, which oh, okay. I saw it was on. I haven't watched it yet. I'm getting this, this thing from all of uh, his films, which is none of them are ever his best film, but they're always really good. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. it's like it's like he's he's got this this continuing sort of uh, uh, oof that just is a big pile of itself, and I yeah. love it every time I get a chance to see it. It's very Wes distinct. Anderson is yeah. so much fun. Yeah, yeah. This one this is, is uh, the basically a film version of the last issue of a magazine called The French Dispatch, which is a uh, uh, a weekly reader that. It's, it, it starts by an American who goes on New vacation Yorker, in France. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, a a a local color story and three main stories that are in this episode. The final issue, because the publisher dies, he dies in the beginning, and so they they tell you this will be the final issue, and it's really just it's sweet and weird and probably I don't know. It feels if. It just it feels French. It's 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 it's, it's mm. dripping with French cinema. That's true. That's true. Well, that's his, no, it, that's his bag, man. Yeah. It's good. Like everybody, it it is good. It's it's hard. It's hard to to criticize the French Dispatch. Yeah. Uh, at least the performance. But but I, I said it on my review, and I'm gonna say it again. Jeffrey Wright in the last uh, big segment, who is basically the narrator is just spitting out the most convoluted dialogue you can imagine yeah. the entire time just just <laughs> shredding it it's beautiful uh. and and he's he plays a very writerly writer so it makes sense for that did you notice that there yeah. are one two three four people from james the the new james bond movies in this movie there's jeffrey wright there's that woman who plays his wife there's the bad guy from um uh uh uh, uh, uh I oh hate uh, from Quantum of Solace old. uh Quantum yeah, of Solace yeah yeah and, and Tilda Swinton and no and uh, Javier Bardem he's not in this is he <laughs> wait well, wait no um oh sorry I'm thinking of Javier Bardem but but. That's the wrong name. Yeah. Who's the who was the prisoner God with to do? Um, Sigourney Weaver was name? never on Gilligan's Island. God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I can't no, think the, of his name now. That's Bingo. Is that how you say <laughs> he, it? We usually he, just he plays say the bingo. collector bingo. in Guardians of the Galaxy. Benicio del Benicio del Toro. Benicio del Toro. Oh, I guess he was once in a James Bond movie. Yeah, so that's was that's he? five. I don't know. License, I, I, yeah, was, he, I was he was in license him Javier Bardem because I, I mean suck. the new Blofeld. Oh, Christopher oh, Waltz. Yeah, yeah, Christopher He's Waltz. Thank you. Yeah. Also, Chris, you'll get a honk out of Timothy Chalamet's character, who is this um, like revolutionary wannabe, like intellectual college asshole. Nice. <laughs> um. In the French Dispatch, that was that's a pretty big year for a uh, Chalamet too, because I think French Dispatch and yeah. Dune were released on the same day by some weird mm-hmm. dink. and so that's like yeah. two pretty major theatrical th- releases for one guy. It's like weird. <laughs> there you have it. Who came out of nowhere? You know, I mean, yeah, he's yeah. like he, he looks like the walking epitome of a, like a Tim Burton drawing. 
to me, though. So it's just, it's, <laughs> it's just hard to look at him sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, but there, whatever. He'd be perfect uh, so for like yeah. a live version of uh, Nightmare on Elm uh, before Christmas or something. You know? What are your fav- what's your favorite Wes Anderson film? Go. Uh, Bottle Rocket, still. Mm. I love it. It's got none of his quirks, I- but it's got all of the heart. And it's just, you can't have any of his other movies without that one. It's just, yeah. it's, the, it's the, the, the formula. You know what I mean? It's the magic it, ingredient. Yeah. For me, it used to be Rushmore. I think now it's probably Moonrise Kingdom, actually. Mm. That's an odd um, one, though. Every time you bring that up. Because it's good, but it's not great. Like, the, I don't like know. I watch, I, I watch it, like, maybe it was just the mood I was in when I saw it. Maybe. I don't know. Because I watch like Grand Budapest Hotel, and that just still, like, that's a close second to me. Uh, yeah. Because it's just that so, was a good one. so that much was good going one. on. Uh, so, yeah, it's this, tough. This new one is more Grand Budapest Hotel than, than the others. Yeah, that was the feeling it's, I got. It's, it was very reminiscent of that. Okay. Uh, I guess. I, I, always, I always thought Grand Budapest was about nostalgia. And this, is, this has got a lot of nostalgia to it because there's people telling stories from the past, but they're doing it like journalists. So it's yeah. less so. Interesting. I don't know. I mean... There, there aren't very. I mean, you really can't go wrong with just about any Wes Anderson. I mean, there are ones that are not as good, but yeah. I mean, there's a lot of good. I mean, hell, Isle of Dogs was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, anyway. his his animated stuff is. I I consider that like separate because it's. I think so all of his more, films yeah. are basically film versions of animation. Anyway, I mean, they're all posed. Oh, yeah. They're all like very distinctly shot it's like they're hand-drawn but not i mean yeah. i think animation is just natural for him uh but no, i'm gonna that, i'm gonna true. i'm gonna go with royal tannenbaums for my own um, there you go yeah. yeah also good okay also good okay but uh but I like just, you see what i mean agree, the there best isn't... one is not the life aquatic that that one's not the good one i like okay. that one it's That's it's grown on me all to me they're all a close second, and they're all trying mm. to force their way into the first place spot, but they can't all fit. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. So, yeah, well, French right. Dispatch. See it. It's, it's, it's fun. Ask for it by name. So, I don't even remember where I heard it, but but I was exposed to the knowledge that in the year 1984... There were only five albums to hit number one on the Billboard album chart for the entire year. Never been done since. And that is like a lowball record. Yeah. And I the height was like, of corporate music. Huh. <laughs> wow. Here's another way we can talk about 1984 and music on the show. So let's discuss five albums. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's funny. And that oh, wasn't one of them. Yeah. Well. This is what's funny, though, is that one of them is Thriller, which basically dominated 1983 as well. And so for like. And the, came out in 82. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's just a monster album. I think it's the best selling of all time still or whatever. But uh, yeah, so he, it was tops in 83, and then 84 comes out and basically just dominated through like mid April. Uh, and I just remember. Yeah. This, seeing that on mtv constantly because there were at least five singles from that and so you couldn't escape it 
uh, until Footloose comes along. Well, and and yeah, that's yeah. We we have to. We have to say that MTV is probably largely responsible for some of these. All uh, of these? Are you kidding me? Yeah, like yeah. being before, the top. So before we go there, uh, let's 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 start with okay, beginning of the year through to April fourteenth, it's all thriller. Yeah. Then from April twenty first to June twenty third, it's all the Footloose soundtrack. Yep. Then you have right. one week of Huey Lewis in the news as sports. <laughs> the little little engine that could. By yeah, followed by uh, yeah the thing that would make uh, uh, Bateman kill all those people in American Psycho. Yeah, uh, July seventh to July twenty eighth, you've got Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA, which and would also come from, back in uh, January of the next year as well. Right, and then from August fourth through to the end of the year, it's all Purple Rain, purple Prince rain, and the purple Revolution's rain. Purple Rain. Yeah, so that gives you an idea of like what was doing all this damage to the Billboard charts that year, and it's the reason I got into punk rock, because I did all of this. <laughs> so, uh, so just here's the, the truth-telling, and I'm pretty sure I'll know Eric's answer, but uh, I'll be interested to hear Brian's. Uh, of these five, how many did you own in your collection? Um, one. Which one? I owned Purple, Purple Rain. Rain. Yeah. I had... Uh, Purple rain, purple rain. <laughs> yeah, I had. Yay. I never meant to cause you any pain. I only want to one time see you laughing. Laughing in the purple rain. Purple rain, purple rain. Help me sing, folks. Purple rain, purple rain. Purple rain, purple rain. I only want to see you laughing in the purple rain. I had Thriller. But I had Thriller on cassette from like 1982 when it first hit. Uh, See, I didn't. I didn't feel a need to purchase any of these albums because they were inescapable. Well, yeah. My, no matter where you went, you heard the songs. Yeah. Well, and my other one was I had I had Sports, so I had those on cassette. Uh, and none of these I have listened to in forever today. But for the show, I went back and re-listened, and uh, they're terrible. Like none of them are any yeah. good. It's like <laughs> yeah. that's astonishing. So uh, I get it that there's like massive giant hits on all of these albums, but none of the music is anything that I would even consider listening to these days, and it's just astonishing. Well, what what blew me away was that Huey Lewis in the News as Sports was number one only for a week because I remember that thing at the time just being everywhere yeah. well yeah. was it just me no because you had uh well, well it came if out this is it yeah and uh yeah it's like it I had a, a new bunch drug of and, and yeah. uh and whatnot and so it was huge and so basically that's another one that started in like 83 and then kind of gradually worked its way uh into the the minds and hearts of everybody because it was released in like june of 83 or something and it took it almost a year to get to number one for a week uh, before it was toppled uh, by, I guess it was Springsteen. And so, it's and yet just, I yeah. find it to be the least offensive entry for this year. I mean, yeah, it's yes. nothing but like like salt, adult soft rock. Who cares? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's just these yeah. other uh, options are much much worse. Yeah. Well, let's start with the let's start with Thriller since it's the top one. Uh, right. 
and just see. I think we already started with sports, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. So, okay. Thriller, I mean, it's like 10 songs in the album and like basically every single one charted. I mean, it's just this stupid juggernaut of a fucking album that you can't escape. I mean, this is literally like the 80s in a nutshell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's that's one that I just remember when MTV was nascent. It's, you could not escape it. So it was like Billy Jean like beat it were everywhere until that Thriller video came out that uh, Landis did. And then suddenly <laughs> that was like the thing. And so you would sit down and you would watch this 10-minute fucking video just because I mean it was just so dumb MTV just and every ruined time us all. they talked about it every time they talked about it they would say you know that it's it's showing in theaters too so it is technically eligible for an Academy <laughs> Award they said yeah. that all the time of course it wasn't but they kept hoping that they could yeah. say oh see MTV helped make an Academy Award yeah uh, so so it's just yeah I went back and listened to it and I just all, I remembered all the songs I could probably sing along if it's playing because I, I mean I was a kid I didn't really know any better sure sure but the one that strikes me now is the that stupid duet with Paul McCartney the girl is mine oh Ebony oh girl is mine no no because yeah, yeah. Ivory is the Stevie Wonder that was Stevie Wonder yeah and then yeah. and then oh, the girl is mine yeah yeah because Jackson guested on uh, the pipes of peace and had say 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 uh, with, oh, with McCartney okay. so that was like a weird cross dimensional like we'll just make as many songs as we can across albums and make all the cash but the girl you is know, mine I, I, oh. You want to know a terrible great song? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, yeah, terrible song, terrible everything. Uh, hated being alive at the time. But an interesting thing about <laughs> that video is that uh, Paul McCartney, I guess, you know, in between sh- shots, was explaining to Michael Jackson that to really make money, what you need to do is secure your publishing. And Michael Jackson was like, really? And he said, yeah. And apparently the <laughs> next day, Michael Jackson shows up and says, hey, I just secured the rights to the Beatles catalog. Mm-hmm. And Paul was like, you motherfucker, what did you do? <laughs> but yeah, yep. but it's just the, the song itself is, I think it's, to me, it's the worst one on Thriller. And it's just literally two guys who are just casually talking about basically ownership of this girl. And then they yeah. do it in such a sweet, <laughs> saccharine, throw-up-y way that it's like, you kind of go, oh, isn't that sweet? No, it's not fucking sweet. <laughs> it's like, you have her. No, she's mine. You can't have her. No, she's mine. Well, this is also the decade of uh, the police singing a song about a stalker that everybody yeah. thinks is romantic. Yeah. I mean, nobody well, was really listening to the words in the 80s. Well, <laughs> especially with, like, with Springsteen's Born in the USA, like, it becomes this, like, Republican anthem. It's like, do you even listen to this song, you jackass? It's like, yeah. it is not about America the Beautiful, how great it is. Like, this is about how just awful our country is. It's just, <laughs> yeah. But, ah, uh, it just, ah, uh, I hate it so much. It just makes me gag when I hear it and I want to punch something. I, I don't think it's the last time a song will top... Uh, the Billboard charts with the word "doggone." Yeah, really. I still think something <laughs> else. Will, the doggone. Mine. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. I love how we brought up Thriller, and this is the song we're focused on. I love this show. It's terrible. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, everybody's heard <laughs> Thriller. Who cares? Yeah, you we know. brought up no, all know, the hits, but you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. I just it over, over, overrated. Yeah, overrated. But it's hard. Yeah, it's hard I, to oversell and, it because it's it's like 
nine or ten songs, and this is back when you had to do side one, side two. And so mm-hmm. Thriller is the fourth song. It's the last song on side one, if you can imagine that, kids. Uh, and then the number one, the first song on the second side is Beat It, followed by Billie Jean. So it's like the two most giant songs from that album are on side two. It just defies any sort of weird Wasn't logic. What's the leadoff track for Thriller? What's the first one? Want to be starting something. No, yeah. that's that was from Off the Wall. Was no, it? I thought nope. that was Off the Wall. Nope. Look it up; it's on Thriller, yeah. huh? <laughs> la, la, la. Well, so we old. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I mean, give give Michael Jackson and especially Quincy Jones credit. It is it is one of the biggest pop albums ever made yeah. for a reason. It is it, it is solid, but it is product. Yeah. It's really good product. It's, oh. Now, if you really want to talk product, movie soundtracks were we got Footloose <laughs> out a, of this year, yeah. which which somehow took the number one spot from Michael Jackson about a year and a half later. Well, yeah. I mean, um, let's be real. This one also had like 500 top 10 singles that uh, everybody heard and was on MTV 24-7. You know what I mean? Mm. You couldn't escape yeah. it. Yeah. We did a whole show about Footloose I guess I, a couple of years that's ago. That's true. I, I guess the thing I'll say about it, and maybe we can get away from it as quickly as we possible, is I, I think that having a whole bunch of different artists that you could put on MTV at the same time yeah. really put that album and the movie on the map. Well, right? Like, that's, yeah, that's a good market. Well, you got to remember that this is after uh, Flashdance kind of cracked the door a little bit. Yeah, and then, yeah so this is Flashdance for kids. Yeah. Yeah, and then this is also around the same time that Streets of Fire was exploding on MTV, even though nobody was going to see that movie, but the soundtrack was going gangbusters. I mean, it's like you know, that thing. I th- now that I think of it, though, like the '80s, because of MTV, the '80s were really about the monetization of music as a concept. It's not like yeah. music <laughs> even had to be good. It was we're really into music. The same way people are like, I really love video games, without <laughs> mentioning a game. Yeah, And so the idea that something like Footloose would happen, where it's like, we want to have music generally, and yeah. you know the, the parents don't want us to have music, but we're going to have some, some music, doggone it. Doggone you know, it. That, that makes sense that this is when that would happen, but well, I can't even imagine why anybody still likes this fucking movie. Yeah. Well, I'm going to put you both on the spot. What's your favorite song from this soundtrack? Footloose? Yeah. Oh, Christ, dude. Okay, now I have to, like, look at the track list. <laughs> I'll tell you mine if you want to um, know it. Uh, it's that one by Michael Gore that just gets into your head like an earwig where he's just singing, Never, 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 never. That's literally the chorus is just him screaming never over and over and over again. It is so okay. fucking terrible. <laughs> The funniest is holding out for a hero, right? Yeah. Because that's that's become sort of an iconic make fun of the eighties nostalgia thing.
here's what I'm gonna say, because and and again, this was because I saw a YouTube video about it where they were interviewing the singers of this song. Yeah. Here's here's a bit of trivia about Almost Paradise. Okay. First of all, they gave Nancy Wilson her choice of who did she want to sing with, and and like Ann, the guy from Loverboy wasn't even on the list. Ann Wilson. Uh, sorry, Ann Ann Wilson. Um, but the Loverboy guy like was uh, just could not wait to work with her. They got to the studio. They had one microphone. The album track for Almost Paradise is the first and only take they did on a single microphone. <laughs> wow. Hey, that's impressive. Holy I'm shit. I'm going to say that's impressive. That's really impressive. That's good stuff. Um, so so I'm going to give them the nod just for being that damn good at singing. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah, everybody cut Footloose. But it's a terrible album and all the songs suck. <laughs> yeah, I would just urge people to go back and find our show on Footloose if you want to hear all our thoughts about that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Subscribe to the podcast <laughs> and then you'll find it. Yeah. You can do it. Uh, so um, so now we, all right. we can talk about sports because I, I know Eric wants to talk about sports. He loves I, sports. Well, I'm just saying, I think we already did. But uh, yeah. yeah, I love the American Psycho uh, tie-in. You know, one of my yeah. favorite films about the 80s. Yeah. Uh, Brad Easton Ellis really nailed it uh, on that one, and then using it in the film was uh, <laughs> perfect. Because yeah, this is the total like banal white guy rock. This is sort of like the the music that replaced yacht rock in the eighties. It's this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's like up tempo yacht rock. <laughs> yeah, and it's just so uh, vacuous. I I mean I'm on the record. I mean when I was thirteen, this was my favorite band for a hot minute i loved it but it's also because you're 13 and you don't know anything about anything and it's just you know peppy yeah. and so i uh, i guess i will say this is the least offensive entry on the uh the list for this topic yeah. everything else has got its own enormous issues for me uh you know but they're all of similar low quality can you well, tell I'm not really into 1984? <laughs> yeah. Well, not not as a populist, you aren't. Uh, yeah. But the one that gets me no. about this album is... There was a lot of good stuff in 84 that wasn't this, yeah. but anyway. Well, the one that going. gets me about this album is that they close it with a, a Hank Williams cover, Honky Tonk Blues, that's got no business being on this album. It's just like the redheaded stepchild. It's almost like, well, we need a track. Let's just do this one. It kills when we're playing <laughs> the cowboy clubs. I mean, it's just so dumb. Oh, I hate it so much. It's just such a yeah, an, a downer. You on get the, the feeling though, with that many musicians in a band, some of them were probably like, "This is this is pap. This is awful. What are we doing?" And yeah. they they demanded like an attempt to do a song they actually like. Yeah, maybe. And but then they, I mean, but then they went on to do "Hip to Be Square." So eat a dick <laughs> yeah. i mean I, this is a band you know and if you listen to huey lewis i think you'd you'd hear what i'm saying this is one of those bands where it's like i don't want to listen to the album but i bet they're a ton of fun live with the brass section and just the hooks yeah you know i i think it's probably a great band to see live oh i wouldn't oh 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 okay in 1995 in the boston commons uh, uh, they were doing a show, so I got to technically see them live. I didn't pay for it. Oh, but they nice. were like okay. in the in the park. Did it change and your life? It was depressing. It was depressing because yeah. they used to be Huey Lewis in the news, and now they're Huey Lewis in the news, and yeah. it's like, oh, ooh, oh yeah, they're still around. Ugh, ooh, and and it was just so funny to like watch 
the formerly mighty news <laughs> playing yeah. in a park for free. <laughs> and, yeah. And they all had that Ooh. look on their face of Ugh, what, have what we happened done? to stadiums? Hey. Yeah. <laughs> that which which was lampooned nicely in 1984's This is Spinal Tap. Yeah, really. Yeah. Um, well, I would say this Eric, puppet show and Huey Lewis in the news. This, yes. It always makes me think uh, of uh, the one of my favorite mashups on YouTube, which somebody did a thing called James Hetfield in the news, where they did "Hip to Be the Sandman," and so it's basically, <laughs> <laughs> and it's so seamless. Uh, I would also point everyone to the American Psycho axe murderer scene spoof with Huey Lewis and Weird Al Yankovic. There Look you go. Look that up on YouTube. Oh, it's that's fun. right. The role almost went to Leo, but nobody could have brought that certain athos and charisma to it quite like Bale. A role he later recalled a shade of in Christopher Nolan's Batman pictures. Hey. Yes, Al? Why are there newspapers all over the place? Is that like a... Huey Lewis on the news joke or something? <laughs> no, Al. Hey, is that a raincoat? Yes, it is. Oh, geez. Which is okay. Which is good stuff. Uh, we, yeah, in 3D came out this year too. How did that not chart? Of course, because eat it. it. God damn it. Well, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe pause for intermission here because because you gave me the segue. I have a list of albums that if I told you they never hit number one. I think you'd be surprised, but all of these albums, and again, we're not talking about the best albums of 84 from our perspective, because those were never going to hit number one on the charts, right. but here are some albums that didn't hit number one as a result of these five. Madonna's Like a Virgin mm-hmm. did not make number one. Yeah, but she would Van go Van Halen, 1984. That's shocking to me. 1984 didn't have shit on it, though. I mean, if you oh, listen to that album, jump. Shut it had up. Panama, it had Panama. It Hot had, for Teacher. It had all their big crossover hits, Eric. Come on. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Diver Down. Yeah. I'm, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Like a Virgin didn't hit number one. 1984 didn't make it. Uh, Wham's Make It Big didn't make it. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Um, a ubiquitous album from that year, Tina Turner's Private Dancer. That's, yeah. Which was astonishing. everywhere. That is astonishing. Did not hit number one. The Police Synchronicity. Nope. No number one for that. Well, here's Duran Duran, Seven and the Ragged Tiger. Yeah. But he- in the age of, night of, of MTV. But here's the thing. Nope. Here's the thing, Brian, that we tend to forget on the math of this billboard reporting whatever is that uh like a virgin would go on to hit number one in february of 85 make it big oh, would it? yeah okay. make it big would go on right after that uh synchronicity was one of the number one songs from 80 or albums from 83 uh so the timing is just weird but for whatever reason 84 was just this weird consolidation uh throughout the year it just it, it's baffling to me that you look at any other year and it's just like you know album 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 uh but you look at 84 and it's like oh oh there's only five 
everybody was listening to the same thing, I guess. I don't know. When I was when I was uh, digging through that list of albums from 1984, I saw one that I didn't think came out anywhere. I don't think this came out in the 80s, but apparently now that's what I call music. Volumes two and three came out really? in 1984. That's crazy. Yeah. I wonder what was on um, it. <laughs> I thought we were still full on KTEL at that point, but anyway. <laughs> KTEL might have dissolved by then. Who knows? But yeah. I think those albums are put out by KTEL. Anyway, I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, uh, Summer 84 and Bruce Springsteen. Uh, I just hate this album, honestly. I. I mean, I'm not a huge Springsteen fan anyway, but to go from the stuff he was doing in the 70s to this, this is literally him just going, yeah. I'm a sellout. I'm a sellout. I'm a sellout, sellout, sellout. I mean, that's well, literally it. I don't, I don't hold it against anyone for selling out because, you know, who doesn't want to get yeah. paid? Yeah. You know, us, but, no, apparently. We do this show for free. Yeah, but, uh, yeah we never else. tried to monetize the show <laughs> but five <laughs> years in. Yeah. But this one had just a shit ton of singles as well that charted, so it's just uh, just astonishing that they all have uh, so many songs that everybody knows now. Uh, but so, so the main thing that, that I remember about this album was my brother uh, putting the wrong lyric into my head because he, he mumbles the lyrics to I'm on Fire, yeah. and my brother says, it sounds like he's singing, Ooh, Elmer Fudd. Yeah, and have you, that's all have, I hear. Well, have you heard that? Uh, is Elmer Fudd. Uh, Robin Williams doing that. He's doing a cover of <laughs> I'm on Fire, but as Elmer Fudd. They used to play it on Dr. Demento <laughs> all the time. It is really funny. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. I pull you a little closer. You say no. You say you don't like it. I say you're a liar. But when we get oh, it's like fire. Yeah, it's it's good. Uh, <laughs> well, now I know why I was told that joke yeah, at a young and impressionable yeah, probably. age. Your, your brother okay. just ripped it off. The thing that I love most about yeah. Born in the USA, apart from the fact that uh, its lyrics are totally misinterpreted by all of the wrong people, uh, mm-hmm. is the cover is basically uh, Bruce Springsteen's ass in front of an American flag. Mm-hmm. And it was like... Uh, like a big deal like at some point people got really pissy because they thought it was suggesting that Bruce was pissing on the American flag and he's like no he's got his right hand reaching down towards his junk yeah (laughs) it's just he could be pissing on the American flag he's like no that wasn't what we intended he's like we had two shots one was the front and one was my back and we decided that my ass looked better so there it's like oh god Mm. but there's there's nothing I can recommend about this album it's just uh, it's just it was everywhere on MTV. The only reason I would watch the video was because Courtney Cox would get up and dance with them at the end, and that was before she was a name. But I always thought, hey, that's a cute girl. Okay, I'll watch it. Really? Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. You were into that Those, uh, that look. Yes, I, we, we were into seeing cute girls in 1984. It's true, yeah. Eric. Yeah, I was into yeah. hot bitches. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. Okay. Yeah. Point taken. 
so it wasn't, she she would end up on Family Ties as as uh, Alex P. Keaton's second girlfriend. Yeah, and I would be like, wow, she is not funny. She is never going to work again. And well, look, look look at what happens. Well, you know that was uh, around the time she was on Misfits of Science. You know, big break, uh, and then she was in the the Masters of the Universe movie, and then. Yeah. Uh, and then she got to be in Friends, and then the rest is history. She, mu- she must have she must have fucked a lot of producers because there's no way she has the talent. <laughs> oh, to, the, I'm serious. Oh, no. Come it's, on, she should not be in that much work. It's or she had a good agent. Yeah, I mean that's a possibility, right? Or was talented. Uh, uh-huh. Anyway, anyway, yeah, born in the okay. USA. Uh, I, I know it's Eric's favorite movie or uh, album care. secretly, but uh, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, which leads. But then Purple Rain, yeah, the juggernaut of the year. I, it's hard to overstate how much this was everywhere at that time. You could not escape it. It was just everywhere. And it holds up. Like, I will listen to this album end to end right now and love it. Like, it's it's damn good. I want to hear Eric, though, because I know Eric does not like Prince, and so I'm interested in I his, uh, his take. I, I don't. I, I just... I. Uh... I don't know. I kind of roll my eyes and it's, it's like, it's, it's like, I don't know. It's like being at a party and watching two strangers on the couch across from you making out. It's like, (laughs) yeah, I know something's going on, but I don't fucking care. And please stop. Yeah. Uh, just, ah, I don't, I seriously don't care. And, and I, I like look through the tracks and I'm like, there's nothing here. I even like tap my toes to, I, He's he's really? a brilliant musician and a brilliant uh, songwriter, great singer. I have no problem with you know in, in, on any point. It's just what he produces. I, I don't care at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I no. don't know. This is this has got a, a lot of bangers on it. If I'm being the honest only, with you, Eric. the only good thing about it is the video for when doves cry. And how John Woo used it in the second Mission Impossible. Otherwise, <laughs> I don't care. Well, what I like is that uh, you get Let's Go Crazy is the opener. And it's like, let's go crazy. Let's get nuts. And then it took me years and years later to watch the 89 Batman to get to that scene where Michael Keaton <laughs> goes, you want to get crazy? Let's get nuts. I'm like, oh my God. Because Prince did the bat dance thing. I'm like, there's got to be a connection. <laughs> Oh shit! <laughs> and it blew my mind. You think? Is that yeah. real? Oh, it's my theory. Oh my god! It's my no. theory. <laughs> so, I don't think Keaton actually says "Let's go crazy," but I'm gonna go to the tape on this one. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, here we go. Okay. You know what happened to this guy, Jack? Wow. Made mistakes. And then he had us. This lights out. Now you want to get nuts? Come on. Let's get nuts. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? You want to get okay. nuts? Yeah, let's, he doesn't. Yeah, let's get nuts. I, that's what I thought. Yeah, but anyway, I thought that's, that's yeah. That's my so connection. anyway, uh, um, yeah, yeah, fantastic. I mean, what, 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 what kind of surprised me thinking about this topic was. I don't think of Prince and Michael Jackson as being contemporaries. Oh, I felt yeah. like Prince was kind of a post-Michael Jackson oh, no. thing, but not really. <laughs> like, you got to think, like, uh, like, 1999 came out uh, in, like, 81, 82. Sure. So it's, yeah, they're and, contemporaries. And it's not like there wasn't more Michael Jackson after Thriller. Yeah, I yeah. know. It, but for some reason, I had I had 
had him firmly in the past in a way that I didn't for Prince yeah. in my memory. So mm. I read this though when Dove's Cry is doesn't use any bass, and I don't remember if it's got bass or not. Can you confirm? Because that's a hell of a thing if you do that. Yeah, whole song. actually, I think it might not. Um, I mean, it relies so heavily on the drums. On the, uh, I mean, there's certainly no bass guitar. Yes. I don't know if there's a synth down there. So here's the fun part about this show. I just did Let's Listen to the Tape twice, but when we recorded this, we totally didn't listen to the tape. So we don't know what we just heard. <laughs> yeah, we, so it either had bass or it didn't. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> but the one that got me, because I listened to some of it again, uh, and I'll tell you, I always, always, always forget the song Darling Nikki and how dirty it is. It is so goddamn dirty. <laughs> And it's just mm-hmm. astonishing that they can that he was able to put stuff like that out all the time and nobody was like, Yeah, you know. I knew a girl named Nikki, I guess you could say she was a sex fiend. I met her in a hotel lobby, masturbating with a magazine. She said, How'd you like to waste some time? And I could not resist when I saw little Nikki grind. Oh, it was it was a headline. It was free press, yeah. right? Like first of all, yeah. but but yeah, no, and that's always Prince's thing. He's like half of his songs are like Jesus, Jesus, and the other half of the songs are like fucking, fucking, yeah, and yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, but then you get to like the the grand crescendo with Purple Rain, and it's just this epic pop song. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But I put that on in the background, and I'm sorry, Eric, that one just. I get lifted. I'm like, this is, this is ethereal almost. It's, I don't know what the deal is with it because it's just, it's not my normal music. But the way it's produced and it's that long drawn out end with the, like the choir and stuff. It's just, oh, good word. So, so you know, since Chris pointed it out, uh, and we've kind of talked about the albums. Uh, Here's Bruce Springsteen ruining Purple Rain <laughs> to take us out. I love this so much. If you know if you've got ideas for shows for us, hit us up. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. We're at MagHuge, M-A-G-H-U-G-E. Uh, you can find Magnificent Huge Podcast on Facebook or Instagram. Um, you can email us at magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. You can find links to all that on our website, maghuge.com, which has all the old episodes. But the best way to get all the old episodes, of course, is to subscribe to the podcast and then share some with your friends on your social media feeds. Help us grow the show. Yes, And seriously. we'll talk about whatever it is you tell us. Seriously. Yeah, Do get it. to work. <laughs> all right. See you guys next week. <laughs>